All right, chapter 8 of our book is Pray in Secret. One of the things that's important for us to keep in mind is that it is easy to neglect personal prayer uh, because there are so many things to occupy our time. Um, there's TV, there's checking things online, there's keeping up with the news, there's looking at sports scores, and we have ready access to all of those different things, and we can just easily fill our time with all of those things instead of spending time in prayer on our own. Uh, sometimes people are good at diligent at being um, consistent in praying on their own, uh, and so perhaps this chapter is just here's some good suggestions to help improve that. Uh, perhaps you don't really pray much on your own at all, and this chapter can be a conviction about how to improve along those lines. So why is this important? Uh, let me read this quote for you. Just as praying in earshot of others had its imminent rewards in first century Judaism, so also it does in our 21st century church communities, whether it's in church or small group or just at the table with friends and family. It's a tough line to walk because we must pray with others, and public prayer should take into account that others are listening. It should have others in mind, but the danger lurks of sidelining God and shifting our focus to making ourselves look impressive. Um, you ever pray with someone and they use a lot of uh, fancy phrases that seem to be specifically designed to impress you? And I don't think people, sometimes people do that just because it's what they've heard other people say. So uh, I'm not trying to say everybody's motive when they use dignified phrases and, and weighty language is to um, impress other people. But if we don't consistently talk to God on our own, we're going to hear someone pray something and we're going to say, you know what, that sounds good and that will make it sound like I'm not clueless when I'm praying before other people, so I'll say some of those things. And so that is the tension. So turn, if you would, over to Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6. We'll look at verses 5 to 6. Someone want to read that for us? All right. Uh, go ahead and read verse 7, too, if you would. Okay, so what are the two dangers in prayer? The one of the Jews, the other of the Gentiles, from these verses. Yeah. And then be repetitive, okay? And we see examples of the first, um, especially in connection with uh, different types of public events. Somebody will get up to pray, and they'll say a lot of things that sound nice. And if you listen closely, uh, particularly like at, at different political events, sometimes they'll sound really nice, but they don't have a whole lot of substance to them. And the main reason I think that they have crafted that prayer in that way is to make themselves feel better about themselves 
and uh, bolster their pride in that way. Uh, the error of the Gentiles, meaningless repetition, is ironically the error that uh, the Roman church falls into. If I just say things over and over without thinking about them, they'll give me some spiritual benefit. Or even that of the pagans, if I talk often enough and loudly enough, maybe my God will finally pay attention to me. We see that uh, in the story of Elijah, for example, the prophets of Baal. In contrast, we are admonished to go into your inner room, close your door, pray to your Father in secret. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. If we want our reward now, pray to be seen by people and only pray to be seen by people. And the reward is that people will think well of us. If we want God to reward us, perhaps in part by answering those prayers, perhaps in part by deepening our relationship with Him, this verse admonishes us to go off by ourselves and pray to God. Because it's not like God can't hear us um, if we're by ourselves. We don't technically have to speak out loud. We don't technically have to... Um, uh, God will hear us. So then he says this on the next few pages. The infallible test of spiritual integrity, Jesus says, is your private prayer life. Many people will pray when they are required by cultural or social expectations or perhaps by the anxiety caused by troubling circumstances. Those with a genuinely lived relationship with God as Father, however, will inwardly want to pray and therefore will pray even though nothing on the outside is pressing them to do so. They pursue it during times even of spiritual dryness when there is no social or experiential payoff. And then the next one, private prayer is an important test of whether we are real. How many of you find it easy to pray when you're going through difficulty and you want God to help you? I mean, that's true of all of us, right? But again, going back to this idea of relationship, if you only talk to your dad and mom when you want them to give you stuff, it's kind of a very selfish way to approach the relationship. But if you genuinely enjoy the relationship with that person in your family, then you will want to talk to them just because you can, not necessarily because there's something that you want or need right in that specific instant. You're talking to them about your day. You're talking to them about their day. You're talking to them about all these other sorts of things. And it's not a one-to-one -one correspondence because when we come before God, He's not our peer in the same way a brother or sister would be. And he's not quite the same as our parents because his power is uh, greatly increased and is, I mean, he's the ruler of the universe. So there's perhaps even a little bit greater measure of respect when we come before God than when we come before our parents. And yet there are many passages in Scripture that talk about coming before God as our Father and Christ interceding before us as those who are adopted into his family. And so with those things in mind, we ought to want to do this not just when we need things, but also on a regular basis. So let's look at these verses that have to do with our relationship with God. Uh, someone want to do John 15, 15? Okay, thank you. So were the disciples slaves or friends? They're friends. And 
the slave, you say, here's what you need to do. And you don't necessarily give an explanation. You just say, go do it. But in this case, even though God has the right to say to us, go do it, because we are his creatures, he has chosen to explain many of the things that he is doing in the world, and so we have that privilege and opportunity. Uh, someone read Romans 8, 15 to 16. What would it look like if we had a spirit of fear connected with slavery in our relationship to coming before God? Pray cowering. What up? Okay. Yeah. And in contrast, it says we can call out to God, our Father, even our, our dear Father, the word Abba there. Um, and I think the next verse where it says the Spirit testifies that we are sons of God, I think there's an element in which, set in, that, set in the context, it's not just like I walk through life going about my day and the Spirit is reminding me you belong to God, you belong to God, you belong to God, but rather as we come to God in prayer, that relationship is part of our assurance that we do belong to Him. And so I think that that's important uh, to, to take that in its context. Someone read Galatians 4, 6 to 7, please. Okay. Some profound truth there as well, paralleling the passage in Romans. But... What is the significance of one who was a slave to the enemy being adopted into God's family and now being heirs with Christ? What are some of the things that come to mind in connection with that? Okay, good, good. What are some of the um, benefits of the inheritance that we get? I'm not sure you can look at Ephesians 1. Okay, yeah. But there's a lot more than that. I mean, God doesn't send us to hell unless us dwell forever with him, but there's a whole lot of other benefits that he gives us as well. What are some of them? Union with him? Not just with him, but with everyone else who's connected with him, right? Uh, the promise that he's going to return. The fact that we can come before him on a regular basis through what Christ has done and continues to intercede on our behalf. Um, Right, and that's not just I saved you and I'm you know, going to drag you off to heaven and you'll be just as stuck in your sin as you were before, but I'm going to transform you away from being the sinful person that you've been. So, so those things, I think, reflect well our relationship with God. In connection with that, let's look at some verses that have to do with Jesus' relationship with God the Father. There's a bunch more of these. Uh, Matthew 14:23. who'd like to read that one? Mark 6:46. Okay. Okay. Luke 
beat him there, you can read it then. Jesus himself would often slip away into the wilderness and pray. Okay, good. Mark one thirty five. Uh, Luke six twelve. Okay, and the last grouping of verses is all from the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, someone want to read Mark fourteen uh, thirty two to forty two. Robert, you have that one? Interesting comment on that story, connected with the one where you remember the guy Eutychus, third floor window, listening to Paul preach, becomes drowsy, falls out the window, down dead. There was an article in Christianity Today commenting on the, the Eutychus story. Guess what one of their points was? That it was a point of a principle we should learn from that story. You need to take care of yourself. You know, because, you know, because uh, we all pray too much and we, we listen to preaching too much and, and we, might, we might just wear ourselves out. And I'm thinking, I don't think that's primarily where most people in our American society are at today, but they were, they s were seemingly that serious that this, you got to do this self-care. And, and, and I'm not saying, I mean, Sometimes we overextend ourselves. We say yes to too many things, many of which are unnecessary and unimportant. Yes, say no to things that aren't important. But if we're going to skip something, it probably shouldn't be paying attention to God's Word and spending time with God in prayer. So along those lines, what are some of the things that we observe from Jesus' life with God in, the co in connection with prayer from these passages we just read? Okay. Yeah, it characterizes life. What else? In what way?
Okay. What else? What other things do we notice about Jesus and his prayers? Okay. What else? Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Um, here's a question that I that the book asked that I thought was a really helpful question to think about. G or common, I suppose. He had no inadequacies to make up for, and no doubts about his trueness, but he desperately desired fellowship with his father. Do you think that that's true? So why did Jesus pray? I mean, he's God. He's not like he can't know what God the Father was thinking. So why did he pray? Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah, I think those both of those things are very true. And so if even Jesus, who from one perspective didn't need to do it, prioritized this, then... Um, we ought to take to heart that we ought to prioritize it as well. And, and if you had to say, which of the spiritual disciplines do you struggle with most as a Christian? I think most people would probably say prayer. Because most people are fairly good at showing up to church and gathering with God's people. And, you know, there's things we can work on in that. We get to that in the last part of the book. Uh, most of us are pretty good about being aware of truth from Scripture, even if we're not necessarily reading our Bibles every day, we're thinking about it, it's affecting the course of our lives. But in terms of prayer, I mean, I think if we consider the fact that Jesus, if we thought about anybody who didn't technically need to pray, we might think it would be Jesus. And if he did it, then, then we ought to take it seriously as well. And so those were uh, some of the things that sort of struck me and were convicting as I was reading through this chapter. Uh, he gives five helpful suggestions toward the end of the chapter about secret prayer, private prayer, uh, whatever term you want to use to describe it. The first one was create your closet. And this is not an admonition to, um, to uh, go out and get a Rubbermaid closet organization system. That's not what we're talking about here. Instead, here's what he says along these lines, find your regular place. If you can't locate a ready-made spot, make one. Might be a clean desk or some place you can kneel. Many have found that beside the bed is more fruitful than lying in the bed. Why might that be? <laughs> right. Maybe you can find an actual closet or nook under the stairs with enough space to sit or kneel and enough light to read or even capture notes. It will help you be regular in private prayer to have your go-to spot. So, along those lines, the question I wanted to talk about briefly is, how do you avoid distraction while praying? What place have you found might be most helpful for you? And there's not necessarily a right answer to this. I just am curious. Yes. Okay. Jonathan, when you were raising your hand, I couldn't tell. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, other other places that you all have found to be helpful for prayer, yes? Okay. Um, sometimes for me, in a 
the summertime when it's been nice outside. We have a bench out under a tree. I've gone and sat out there. Um, and you might think that might be distracting, but it actually can be a little bit less the distracting because I don't have papers and all that sort of stuff around to make me think about this and the other thing. Uh, what, are, what are other things that might be helpful, not necessarily about the place, but about the time, about the posture, about the um, what you have with you? What are some things that might be helpful or unhelpful? Okay. And we'll get back, we'll get into that one in the next point. So that's definitely a, a good point. What else? Yeah, ready? Okay. Okay, a list of things to keep track of. Along those lines, have any of you found any apps that are helpful of keeping track of prayer requests? Prayer me? Okay. Prayer mate. Prayer mate. Okay. Okay. Uh, along those lines, I know there was a lot of older folks when I used to go and, and visit at Inner City, uh, the shut-ins and so forth. They would just, you know, have a copy of the church directory and they just go through so many of the names each week. And um, so that's, I mean, there are definitely low-tech ways to do it. I was just curious if there's any more technology-based things. And uh, probably one of those things where you almost have to put your phone in airplane mode while you're using <laughs> it so that it's not a further distraction. But okay. Um, Yeah, that's that's cool. Okay. Um, what about time of day? What have you found to be helpful? Okay. Not right before bed. Okay. Okay. Sure. There's kind of that 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 window I think around supper time for all of us, just before it or right after it when we haven't had to necessarily quite move into the things where we've started wrapping up for the day, that might work for some people. And, and um, uh, if you have kids you're trying to get out the door to school in the morning, that can definitely be a, a challenge because I feel like, and you know, this is probably just more, everybody's different, but if I get up at 5 a.m., then by the middle of the day, I'm I'm really tired because I tended to go to bed later and be working on stuff later in the day and everybody has different rhythms with those things. So if I do that and then I say I'm going to, you know, go out the door with my kids, I feel like um and this is probably just something where I need to be more disciplined. I feel like there's always that tension like what am I forgetting? What has to happen next? You know, that sort of thing. And, and that's different for everybody depending on where you're at in life and and what you're doing and all those sorts of things. And so do you guys feel any of those tensions or Okay. Do you feel like that's a distraction at all, or how do you how do you deal with that? I don't have the distractions I've had when my three children were home. Sure. Uh, but it is. I'm easily distracted when I'm tired. Sure. So for me, and it's always been this way. I would pray before my kids got up when they were little, and I continued that. Sure. and that 
Yeah, and you don't want to necessarily close your eyes when you're praying no. and driving to work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got 75 or 20 miles, so it's really easy. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next one. That's, I think, been a helpful discussion. What's that? Yeah, right. Um, the second one, which Paul touched on, is begin with the Bible. So to have a Bible with you is helpful. Many of us have learned with George Mueller to start with the scriptures. Uh, that's a quote from page 103. What passages of scripture have you found to be especially rich in directing your thoughts and words to prayer? Okay. it's a lot in there. Wh why are the Psalms so helpful? And they talk a lot about who God is, which I think is helpful, what God has done, which I think is a, a good place to start in the content of our prayers. What other passages besides the Psalms? see that he's praying the same sorts of things for all the churches in slightly different ways for the most part, um, which I think is, is interesting that there can be variation, but also a consistent goal of what you're praying. I think those are some of the main answers I think that we might find with regard to that, is the Psalms, the prayers of Paul, prayers of Christ. Right. That's a very good point. Okay, good. Uh, the next one touches on the the acronym that he recommends, which is the ACTS: ad adore, confess, thank, and ask. Supplicate, because that would be acta, wouldn't it? I typed the wrong word. <laughs> no, he did say yeah. Yeah. So I did type it right. I just didn't notice that till now. Anyways. Right, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay. Yep, yep, yep. All right. So, I'm not crazy. Um, did you, just out of curiosity, did anybody try that acronym or another acronym this week? Find that to be helpful? Yeah, and, and that's fine. 
as long as you pray, it doesn't matter which acrostic you're looking at, right? Um, and technically, you don't have to use an acrostic. The problem is that when we don't have something to structure, it can become very heavy in one area and not the other. And sometimes that's appropriate. If we have been particularly sinful in a specific week, the confess part ought to be a whole lot bigger than the asking for stuff part, right? And so that will ebb and flow. It's not always... Um, we don't have to be an equal opportunity prayer. We do have to be consistent in doing all those things over the course of prayer. Good. Okay. So, good tools to use, I think. Uh, number four, divulge your desires and develop them. We tend to be good at one or the other. We tend, uh, mostly we tend to be good at divulging our desires. And uh, the song that we sung a few times, the um, uh, one of the ones that Ron Hamilton uh, wrote, talks about, um, you'll always listen closely if you share your heart with him, which I think is true. But I think in Christianity, we tend to overemphasize that part of it and not think about the second part, which is that God is also transforming us, not just listening to us. And so that's what, what this section is getting at. Free prayer, where we pray our hearts, the burdens and anxieties that are on us that day and in that season of life, but also that prayer changes our hearts like nothing else. If we practice praying like David and others prayed in the Psalms, if we practice praying like Paul prayed for the various churches, that does something to change our priorities and our attitudes and all of those sorts of things. And we tend not to think about that part of it because we just think we're talking to God about what's here and now, but God is also transforming us by this process of prayer. And so I think that's an important thing for us to consider. Uh, and so I think we ought to be somewhat intentional about that, to think about how can I pray consistently with the goal, not that I'm forcing change in myself, but with the desire that God will change me as I do that. And so I thought that was a helpful thing to think about. Yeah? A lot of times we're harboring some anxiety or some anger from work or whatever, something happened that day. And a lot of times if we include that in your prayer, first off, as soon as you say that, you kind of think, oh, that's kind of heavy here. Yeah. Or, yeah, God, this is really bothering me and I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Sure. Yes.
we consider others and we're praying in, in groups and publicly that I think we need to just really bear our hearts to them because it doesn't help anybody. Yeah. One caveat I would give with that, just something to think about, there's um there's been a big push in society toward transparency and openness and honesty and all that sort of thing. So the fine line that we have to walk is being completely honest with God because we can't hide anything from Him and recognizing that if we constantly go into great detail about how horrible we are, particularly in front of our children and those that we're supposed to be trying to lead in one way, that can undermine their willingness to follow us. And so I think, I think the degree of specificity definitely changes when we're talking to God on our own versus when we're in a group. Um, but I think, I think we've got to be willing to say, yes, I'm a sinner, but we don't necessarily have to go into all the details when we're with other people like we would when we're alone with God. So I think that's something to, again, people fall on different points on what they see with that. But um, there's something else I was thinking about connected with what Paul was saying. Oh, the idea of emotions. Can we directly change our emotions? argue along these lines is sometimes people look at the story of David and the harp and be like, well, music is the way to fix your emotions. You feel bad, you play a song that makes you feel good. I would argue that along the lines of what Paul was saying, prayer is probably a more effective way of addressing the issues with our emotions than other things that we might tend to consume or take in passively. And again, I'm not saying that it's wrong to listen to Christian music. I'm just saying that if we feel like we can only feel the right way if we do that, then we're saying we now can do something that people in the early church could not do. And so I just think that there's a little bit of a tension there. And, and so I, I just challenge you to think about that. Again, um, what are the things that God has said are pathways and means of connecting with Him and receiving His grace? If it's His Word, and if it's prayer, and if it's gathering with his people, then those are the essential things. And there's other things that we can do, but they're not the essential things in the same way. So uh, for sake of time, we'll move on to the, the last question or uh, item. The last thing he says here is keep it fresh. Regularly or just on occasion, write out prayers with focus and care. If you tend to be very spontaneous, uh, try writing out what you're going to pray before you pray it. Um, if you tend to be very rigid and write out everything that you're going to pray, uh, consider uh, praying uh, for a particular day or for a week more spontaneously about things during the course of the week. Sharpen your affections in prayer with fasting. That'll come up in a later chapter. Take a break from the chaos of life with some special retreat. Have any, uh, any of you found these to be helpful practices to or what practices have you found to sort of switch things up for yourself with regard to prayer?
Okay. I think this has been a helpful discussion. Any final thoughts as we close? Yes. I'd have to look at those passages again. I kind of have the sense, although I would have to double check them, that some of that had to do with more of a corporate sense of that the Israelites were, as a nation, not following God. God was not going to bless them, and part of that was answering their prayers. But I'd have to look at that again. I'm not really sure off the top yeah, of my head. I'd agree. That's what it, it seemed to be, just again, that there was unconfessed issues. But then I, the question is, I guess I would say this. If I am living selfishly and I say, God, I want you to give me lots of money and lots of fame so that everybody will recognize me and want to follow after me, he's not going to answer that with a yes. So, I mean, at the very least, that. But beyond that, I have to think about it. So, but. All right, let's close in prayer, and then we'll uh, head on to the service in a few. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to consider these truths about coming before you. Help us to be faithful to do this, not to, even in our praying for other people, just sort of uh, list off the same things because you know our requests before we have said them, but to think carefully about what we are saying, to um, be balanced in what we are praying in terms of recognizing who you are, uh, thanking you, um, acknowledging our sin before you, uh, bringing the needs of ourselves and others before you. Lord, help us to do all of these things, to do them consistently, to follow the example of Christ, to see it as building our relationship with you, even as we would with a mother or a father or a husband or wife, a child. Um, Lord, help us to see the importance of all these things and to do them faithfully. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.